Come on, let's give them some praise tonight. Come on, as much as you can give me. Come on, let's give them some radical praise. We broke through last night, and I don't know about you, but I made a decision when I walked in tonight, I'm not going back to before I broke through. I'm not going to break through. I'm going to break through and stay through. Some of you are being too much like Michael Jackson. You front slide, but then backslide. I'm going to break through and stay through. If I was passionate last night, it doesn't matter what my bills look like today. It doesn't matter if I'm tired today. It doesn't matter if I'm weary today. My flesh doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it what to do. Jesus said your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I need some of you to tell your flesh to shut up. I need someone to tell you, look at your body and say, hands, I know you don't feel like praising, but you're going to praise. Mouth, I know you don't feel like shouting, but you're going to shout. Body, I know you don't feel like dancing, but you're going to dance. Feet, I know you don't feel like dancing, but you're going to dance. I know you don't feel like jumping, but you're going to jump. Isaiah, do we always have to be this radical? Yes. He didn't go halfway to the cross. He didn't go 10% to the cross. And there was a time where I sat in church and I couldn't praise this way and I couldn't shout this way and I couldn't dance this way. But this man in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my compromise, in the midst of my religion, he broke my chains. He gave me a song to sing. David said, you pulled me out of the depths of hell. You pulled me out of the miry clay and you put a new song. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach tonight. You put a new song on the inside of me. See, many of us didn't get saved once, but we got saved twice. We got saved once from the world and the second time was from religion and I'm not going back to the chains of lukewarm. Halfway in, halfway out, malnourished back and forth. McDonald's, Burger King, have it your way. Hometown buffet, whitewashed tomb, religious Christianity. If I've been set free by the fire of God, why would I want to go back to playing church? Why would I want to go back to religion? Why would I, oh, come on, Holy Ghost. Why would I want to go back to playing church? And if you're having trouble praising, it might be because of your chains. I just don't know why I don't feel like lifting my hands because you can't lift your hands when there's 50-pound chains on your wrist. See, something happens when God breaks the chains. Something happens when you come to the house of God. See, some of you, oh, I don't want to, I thought this skinny white kid was going to go up there and just read three points in a poem. I'm not here to give you three points in a poem. I'm here to tell you there's more to Christianity than just coming and spectating. But God is saying from the days of John the Baptist until now. See, Hayward is known as one of the most violent cities in California. And what would happen if it wasn't just Hayward that was known for their violence but Victory Outreach Hayward was known for their spiritual violence. God is looking for violent believers. There is no room for pansies. There is no room for sissies. There is no room for calm, tame, malnourished, lukewarm Christians. We are raising up an army in this generation that says we're going to bind demons. We're going to lose healing. We're not going to wait for the enemy to attack us but we're going to attack him. 
He said, I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell won't prevail. I'm looking for an offensive church, not a defensive church. We're going to bring the fight to the devil. We don't need to wait for another drive-by to get to the altars to pray. We don't need to lose another family member before we get desperate. We need to be, we need to be, we need to pray before it happens instead of praying after it happens. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence. Let me give you the translation in the Greek. And only those that are violent can lay hold of my kingdom. In other words, there is only one type of believer that I'm looking for in the church. And it is a violent believer. When people get around you, do they say, man, you're violent. I want to be a violent Christian. I want to get out of bed and, oh, I wish I was preaching tonight. I want to get out of bed in the morning and give the devil a migraine. I want a wanted poster with my name on it. He stole too much from me for me to be calm in church. He stole too much from me for me to play religion. You always praise that way, yes, because I'm living on borrowed time. If it had not been for divine intervention, I wouldn't be alive tonight. Come on, does anybody have that testimony? If it wasn't for his hand stopping the bullet, if it wasn't for his hand taking me off that rope, if it wasn't for his hand delivering me, I wouldn't be here because he saved me. Now it's not my life. It's his life. He didn't save you from that gang so you could play church. He didn't save you from those drugs so you could come once a week and sing three fast songs and two slow songs. He pulled you off the rope because he saw a nation that needed to hear the gospel. He brought you off the street so he could equip you, so he could empower you, so he could anoint you to wrestle demons. Don't get saved and become weak. People become Christian. I'm thinking, man, used to be exciting, used to be passionate, used to be radical, and now that you're in the house of God, friend, God still wants you to be violent like you used to be in the gang. It's just now for his gang. God still wants you to be radical like you used to be at the bar. It's just for his bar. God wants you to be crazy for the club. It's just his club. It doesn't mean you have to stop dancing. You're just changing partners. It doesn't mean you have to stop fighting. You're just fighting against a different thing. We need believers that are violent. We need believers that are passionate. There is no excuse not to have passion in the house of God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. See, when God's people praise, his presence comes. And if we don't have his presence, then we're just having a social club. If we don't have his presence, then miracles don't happen. If we don't have his presence, your kids don't get saved. There's no hope for your marriage outside of his presence. There's no hope for your business outside of his presence. All of your life is worthless if you don't have his presence. And the Bible says there is one thing that attracts the presence of God, and that's extravagant praise. Maybe the only thing stopping you from breakthrough is the way that you praise. Maybe the only thing stopping your deliverance is the way that you praise. Maybe the devil would actually get afraid if you shouted louder for God than you did for the Oakland Raiders or the San Francisco 49ers. 
Come on, ain't nothing to shout about for the 49ers. Come on, out me. I got to back up so Pastor doesn't take the mic. But we are in the house of God. We have a reason to shout. We are not in a Catholic church where we're praying to a dead God. We are in the house of Almighty God. He has eyes that see. He has ears that hear. He has a hand that could move. And if you need a breakthrough tonight, if you need a miracle tonight, try praising. Try shouting. Try attracting his presence. Why? Because there are many churches in this country where God is not showing up in their gatherings. Just because we put a cross outside, just because we call ourselves Christian doesn't make us a Christian. Many people pray and say, invite Jesus in your heart, all this, and that's great. And we use the verse Revelation 3, he's knocking at the door. Friend, when he says he's knocking at the door, he's not talking about the door of your heart. You can go study it. There were seven prophetic letters to seven churches. And at the end of the seventh letter, he said, I'm knocking at the door of the American church. He said, you are so busy with all of your programs and all of your parties and your air condition, but not your prayer condition and your board meetings, but not prayer meetings. You are so busy with all of your things you're doing in the church. You don't even realize that I'm outside the church. See, so many of us have lost the presence of God, and we're continuing to go through the motions. He said, and I'm outside the door of my very own church, and I'm knocking on the door. He said, if anyone would hear my voice, if anyone would realize that miracles are not happening in my life, that signs and wonders are not happening in my life, people all the time say I'm a Christian because I pray to prayer. That's not what makes you a Christian. Being a Christian is your fruit. He says, show me that there's fruit in your life. Show me people are getting discipled. And don't get upset at me. Get upset with yourself. Show me people getting discipled. Show me miracles happening in your life. Well, brother, it sounds like you're preaching works. Let me give it to you biblically. The Bible says if you don't have works, then you don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, you can't be saved. So, yes, there are works involved in Christianity. The Bible says Jesus, let me say it that way, says to work hard that you're to prove that you're among those then that God has called and chosen. Jesus said to work hard to enter in through the narrow gate. Jesus said, not Isaiah Saldivar, not the awakening, not victory outreach. Jesus said to work to prove. He said work to get through the narrow gate. This is not a gate where everybody gets to come in because they go to church. This is a narrow gate where God says, I'm not looking for fans. I'm looking for followers. I'm looking for true disciples that would work, that would put in effort. There is not an easy way. I know we live in an Instagram, instant gratification, microwave generation, but there is work to be put into this kingdom. There is work to see miracles. There is work to reach souls. And there are too many of us that are spiritually lazy, that want to sit on the couch while somebody comes and feeds us. But it's time for us to begin to exercise what God has given us. We are on the last night of this revival, and we are going to take care of whatever's left that is stopping us from being transformation to Hayward. We're going to remove whatever's left that's in the way that's blocking us. It doesn't matter what addiction you came with. You don't have to leave with it. It doesn't matter what sickness, come on, help me preach, in this Catholic church tonight. It doesn't matter what sickness you came with. You don't have to leave with it. If you came in one way, you can leave another way. It's his presence that brings forth life. It's his presence. You can look to everything else but it's only his presence that could change you. It's only his presence that could save you. When John the Baptist showed up, he was in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus, and here was the question he asked, are you the one or should we look for another? In other words, are you the one that brings life? 
Why? Because we've looked to drugs. We've looked to drinking. We've looked to partying. We've looked to gangs. We've looked to movies. You've already tried to get a really good job, and you were still empty. You already tried to get the degree, and you were still empty. You already tried to get the church position, and you were still empty. They said, Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for another? And Jesus responds with this. Tell them that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleaned, the dead are raised. Why? In other words, don't just preach to them a fictitious gospel where Jesus just wants to come into your life. He says, tell them that there are real signs and wonders. There is actually action to what I believe. This is why I love Victory Outreach. I preach all over the country. I'm not tooting my horn. I'm just giving you a quick background. I preach to a lot of different denominations, a lot of different circles, and there are very few churches that are actually doing what they're preaching. There is a misconception in the body of Christ that just because you preach it, you're actually doing it. Just because we hear the word doesn't mean we're living the word. And there are many of us that have fooled ourselves into thinking we're Christians when we're not actually Christians. Paul said, don't think you're better than you actually are. There is a tendency in the mind of believers and people to think that they're more than they are than they actually are. That's why Paul said to test yourself to see if Christ is really among you. There is a real test you have to ask yourself. Am I really doing miracles? Am I really praying when no one's around? Am I really in my Bible every single day? Am I really in constant relationship with this man called Holy Ghost? He's not this fictitious spirit that floats around the room. There is a real person in this house tonight that is longing for relationship, that actually wants you to pray, that actually wants you to fast, that actually wants you to pray for people. We're waiting on God to show up with a revival. He already came 2,000 years ago, and the Holy Spirit hasn't left. The Bible says, and the fire came in the book of Acts, and there's no verse where the fire left, which means God is waiting on us to take the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that one more time. God is waiting on us us to take the power of the Holy Ghost, to take the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and to bring it to the streets of Hayward. If we're complaining about nothing happening, it's probably because we're lazy and not doing anything. But after these three days, I've already committed. I'm not going to go back to my vomit. I'm not going to go back to my sin. Come on, help me preach tonight. I'm not going to go back to religion. I'm not going to go back to playing church. Maybe the only thing stopping your breakthrough is you're too quiet. It's just not my personality. Thanks, bro. It's just not my personality to praise that way. That's weird because it was your personality at Saturday at the mall when you were spending $1,500 on all the clothes and all the things you're addicted to. It was your personality when you were at the football game shouting with half your body painted a certain color. It was your personality when you woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you stood 18 hours in line to get the new iPhone. It was your personality when you were Friday night at the movie theater instead of the revival. It was your personality. See, we're all passionate. We're all passionate about something. It's just we can't get Christians to be passionate about God. What would happen if God was the center of it all instead of a part of your life? What would happen if God wasn't like a purse where you just added on him to your wardrobe? What would happen if God's world was more than anything else, more important than anything else in your life, where God didn't revolve around you, but you revolved around him? What would happen if we didn't just pray a prayer, but we put up a cross and said, I'm going to live this thing out every single day. I'm not going to be halfway in. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to spend more time on my computer than in the presence of God. I'm not going to 
spend more time on Facebook uh, than in his book. Uh, I'm not going to live my life for the pleasures of this age. Uh, I'm not going to live my life for myself. Uh, but I'm going to stand up tonight. Uh, I don't care what my girlfriend thinks. Uh, I don't care what my parents think. Uh, maybe your kids need to see you praise. Uh, maybe your kids need to see you shout. Uh, maybe your shout is what's stopping you. When's the last time you just gave God uh, an undignified praise? Uh, when's the last time you just didn't care and said, you know what? I got nothing to lose but everything to gain. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he didn't whisper to Lazarus. I just don't know why your services, Isaiah, have to be so loud and so long. You're going to hate heaven when you get there. Can I be honest with you? Some of you would rather go to hell than go to heaven. If you don't like the presence of God on earth, what makes you think you're going to like it in heaven? People in the church, I don't really like long worship sets. Then you're going to hate heaven because guess what? There's no Jesus Culture album. There's no Bethel album. There's no Elevation worship song. They're up there singing the exact same song for billions upon billions of years. And here is all they can say. They try to sing other songs, but every time they gaze upon this man, all they could say is holy. He is unlike every other God. He's not like the Mormon God. He's not like the Jehovah's Witness God. He's not like the trust. He's not like the sex. He's the one. You don't need to keep looking for another. You don't need to keep searching in the pill and searching in the pipe. You can look to the cross and there's a man by the name of Jesus. Does anybody know this man that when he speaks life, he gives life. He will turn your mess into a message and your test into a testimony. He could change what the doctors can't change. He could change preach Holy Ghost. He could change what your counselor can't change. He could change what your marriage counselor can't change. And if you start looking to him instead of looking to medication and looking to other things and looking to entertainment, he will be the one to change you. When Jesus spoke to Lazarus, he didn't do what we do. God, I just really pray he would save my kids. He didn't whisper. He didn't talk calm. The Bible says he yelled to Lazarus. Why? Because dead things respond to loud praise. See, some of you, the reason why you're dead marriage and you're dead children and you're dead prayer life and you're dead reading life and your lack of fire and lack of passion, if we were honest, there's no passion. We, I just really feel like reading. It's because we're too quiet about our faith. There comes a time where you just break the roof and you just break the lid and you say, it doesn't matter who sees me shout, who sees me praise. I'm not doing this for them. There's something dead that's in my life. This is what Joshua knew. God said, Joshua, I want to bring down the walls of this city. I can't do it if if you're quiet. I can't do it if you're calm. What walls have been stopping you from seeing Hayward saved? What walls have been preventing us from seeing this move of God? And God said, Joshua, stop asking questions. When I say to shout, I just want you to shout. And when you shout, you're going to invoke the armies of God. What does shouting do? Shouting invokes the armies of God. Shouting invites God to join your battle. I can't beat this addiction. You're right. You can beat but if you shout and invite God uh, to help fight your battle, then God could beat it. I can't save my marriage. You can't save your marriage. But if you'd invite the presence of God, I can't win this court battle over my children. But if you'd invite God in that courtroom, if you begin to shout when you don't feel like shouting, if you begin to praise when you don't feel like praising, see, true praise isn't when you feel like it. It's when you don't feel like it. The Bible says this. I love this. Watch. 
I'm going to get into the message. We're going to go quick. We're going to have some fun. We're going to do an altar call. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and when Joshua and the people. But here's what it says. It doesn't say when the people shouted. It says when A-L-L, when all the people shouted. Here's the deal. There was thousands of people, and if one person was in that meeting and chose not to shout, the walls would not come down. Why? Because God is looking for a church in unity. God is not looking for the first four rows to shout, for the first four rows to preach. It's not about us preaching. It's about you preaching. You have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus. You know what that means? The word literally means the same quality. It means the exact same quality that Jesus had you have. It's not like Jesus was driving a Ferrari and you're driving a Honda Civic. He said the same quality of spirit I have is the same quality of spirit you have. You have the same anointing that raised Lazarus. You have the same anointing that healed the woman with the issue of blood. You have the same anointing that walked into the pool and healed the lame man. You have the same anointing that forgave the woman caught in adultery. You have the same anointing that opened up blind eyes, that raised the dead. You don't have a junior Holy Ghost. You don't have a Hayward Holy Ghost. You don't have a Bay Area Holy Ghost. You don't have a halfway Holy Ghost. You have the same Holy Ghost. You have the same passion. You have the same fire. All that Jesus did, you'll do greater works. I'm preaching scripture tonight because I go to the Father and I've left you what the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't what babysits us in church. Pastor, people tell me that I had to leave my church. I travel the same churches every year, some of them every month. And I'm where'd so-and-so go? Oh, they left. And I'll talk to so-and-so somewhere else. Why'd you leave? Oh, because I just wasn't getting fed. And I'm thinking in my head, I got a two-year-old that could go into the cabinet, get her own food, and feed herself. Yet we're living in a church day where grown men and grown women are leaving their churches. We have made such a weak, anemic church that needs people. Why? I just got to babysit them again. I just got to help. And I don't want to offend them. And I don't want to make them cry. Friend, we need to shift this whole nursery paradigm into an army paradigm. When we say, we're not afraid of offending you. We're not afraid afraid of making you uncomfortable. We are not here to baby you. This is not a nursery. If you need to go to the nursery, there's one in the back. You could drop your kids off and check yourself in. We are here tonight because we are an army that God is raising up. We're not going to live offended. We're not going to be silent believers. We're not going to spend all of our time gossiping and crying and complaining. It's time to grow up. It's time to get a sword and get a spoon and learn to feed yourself. It's time to get your own anointing and get Get your own oil. After these three days, we have the weapons of warfare. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are spiritual and mighty through the pulling down of strongholds through God. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And if you're putting your trust in the White House, you're putting it in the wrong place. I'm not putting my trust in the White House. I'm putting my trust on the White Throne. There is only one that could save America. There is only one that can make America great again. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, and I'm crazy enough to believe that when it's all said and done, he wins. I love this. I love this. People are like, Mayweather's undefeated. God's undefeated. He's never lost a battle in the entire Bible. Listen, friend. When you fight the enemy, you always win. Every Why are you so, you're just so everyone could get saved, and it doesn't matter how bad. I had one guy come to me, he's like, I, I get irritated, because every time you, every, it doesn't matter if you're addicted. You, you just believe so much that God could change anybody. How do you, you want to know why I believe God could change everyone? Because every morning when I get up to brush my teeth, and I'm standing in front of that mirror, I'm reminded of the grace of God. And I say, God, if you could save a knucklehead, if you could save an atheist like me, if you could save a guy like me, then you could save anybody. 
How do I know God's going to save my family? Because he saved me. You are a prophetic picture to humanity of the grace and mercy and saving power of God. If he could pull you out of the trap house and put you in the prayer house, he could pull them out of the, oh, I wish somebody would hear me tonight. If he could save them, he could save you. If he healed your body, he could heal their body. If he did it for her, he could do it for you. The Bible says what he does for one, he shall do for another. That's what gives us the faith. But the Bible says when all of them shouted, here's what it says, the walls came down flat. Here's what I always thought. I thought they shouted and the walls fell like this into the city. Wrong. Because if the walls fell into the city, they would have destroyed the city, and they wouldn't have had to go in and fight for what God gave them. See, even though God brings the walls down, there's still a fight that has to take place. You're, I just don't know why I'm fighting. You're fighting because you're a Christian, and the devil hates you, and he wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Don't think the devil's going to give us Hayward easy. You don't, I'm telling you right now, God, devil's not just going to, okay, pastor, here you go. Here's the city of Hayward. Praise God. It's going to take some intense laboring warfare and prayer. It's going to take nights where you feel sick to your stomach, and nothing on the inside of you wants to pray prayer and nothing on the inside of you wants to read but you have to get a revelation that what's living inside of you is better than what's living in the world you might not always feel it but we don't walk by feelings the bible says we walk by faith i don't walk by what i see i walk by what i believe this is what israel had to know the walls didn't fall inward and they didn't fall outward or they would have crushed the children of israel the bible says the walls fell flat now archaeologists have discovered that 20 miles into the ground they've literally dug up the walls of Jericho. They literally said that the walls, when they came down, they came crumbling flat. You can go read it in your Bible, which means that it wasn't someone pushing it. It wasn't the noise that pushed it. It wasn't the people in the city that pushed it. But there was a force, they're saying, from above. These are scientists that have said this. There is a force from above that pushed down on the walls. I believe the hand of God is in this place to push down on whatever wall that you're fighting, whatever issue you're going through. But you're going to have to decide what side you're on. See, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible says, and the Israelites and the Philistines were camped on opposite sides of the valley. Let me give you this first point. God's army doesn't intermingle with the Philistine spirit of this age. In other words, you cannot live in darkness Monday through Saturday and then come and try to live in the light. You must decide what side you're on. Are you for the kingdom of God or are you for the kingdom of this world? How do I know? If you're still battling worldly music, you are are not in the army of God. If you're still battling these ungodly movies where we're laughing about what Christ died for, then you are not in the army of God. If you're not working for the kingdom, the Bible says you're working against the kingdom. Jesus said you're going to have to make a decision. Are you on my side or their side? He, the Bible says what fellowship does light have with darkness? Well, I just want to reach my friends. You don't reach them 2 a.m. at a rave. I just need to go to the party because Jesus hung out with sinners. He didn't hang out with sinners. He ate with sinners. And he didn't go into their environment. He brought them into his environment. Stop justifying your sin and using the grace of God as a license to live however you want. Because here's what I'll tell you. You can get the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. How do I know? Because the devil used the Bible against Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, well, doesn't the Bible say if you jump off this rock, then the angels will take you up? In other words, he watch, stay with me here. He's going to use scripture to justify reckless living. See, the scripture wasn't about jumping off cliffs so that angels can catch you. The scripture was about divine protection in case there was an accident. But the enemy will always use verses to give you a license to live reckless. 
recklessly. It's okay to drink. The Bible says that Jesus drank wine. There's not one place in the Bible it says Jesus drank wine. Well, the Bible says that this. No, the Bible says to be holy because I'm holy. The Bible says to walk the difficult narrow road. The Bible says to pick up a cross and to lay down your life and to get his life. The Bible says the grace of God isn't a license to sin, but a license to live righteously. And I'm done using grace to cover up what only blood covers up. Grace doesn't cover sin. Blood covers sin. And they're not up on the throne singing grace, grace, grace. The Lord God Almighty, they're singing holy, holy, holy. is the Lord God Almighty. God is looking for a holy people that would rise up in the earth and decide what side they're on. People come to me. <clears throat> I'm just going through lots of spiritual warfare. Every time I get done having movie night with my family all night long and fighting demons, you're not fighting demons. You're trying to kick out what you're invited in. See, we invite demons in through our music, through our movies, through the way we talk, through our gossip, and then the demons get to our house because we invited them over, and we're going, what are you doing here? I rebuke you in the name of God, uh, and I'm going to put oil on you, and you, you must get out of my house. And the devil's going, I'm confused because I could have sworn you invited me over through that movie. I could have sworn you invited me over through your gossip. See, we're opening up spiritual portals and calling ourselves spiritual because we close them after. But God says, at what point will you stop inviting the enemy to sleep over, Delilah? At what point, Samson, are you going to say, Delilah? There's no room. I'm not going to get my hair cut at Delilah's barbershop. I'm not going to live my life in constant compromise. I'm not going to live in this cycle where I invite him over and then kick him out. And then the demons are asking the devil. They're saying, man, this guy's really confused. He invites us over on Saturday and then kicks us out Sunday morning and then invites us over on Saturday and then kicks us out on Sunday morning. If you invite the devil over, he will come. If you invite Bathsheba over, she will come. You're going to have to decide to close every single porter and decide what side you're on. Elijah said, if Baal is God, then serve Baal. But if God be God, then serve God. But don't serve two masters. Don't be halfway in and be halfway out. This was the message Jesus gave to the church. He didn't come to church and say, you guys are awesome. He said, you guys are hypocrites. We all know what hypocrites is. It's a Latin word, hypocrites, and it means an actor because they couldn't afford to hire two actors. They would hire one actor and give them two masks. And God says, you have two masks. You have your worldly mask that you wear at work, and you have your church mask that you wear at church. And every time, oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed and highly favored. Psalms 109, and I go, the Lord watches over me, he the cattle. And we're quoting all these scriptures, but there's no real reality in our everyday lives that God is our savior, our protector, our guider, our king, our master. I want to live my life every single day where Jesus is at the center of it all. Here's my word. Everything matters to God. What you watch matters. What you listen to matters. Where you go matters. How you talk about your pastor. Let me say that one more time in the house of God. How you talk about your pastor matters. And just because we're Hispanic, it doesn't mean it's not gossip. Well, I'm Hispanic. It's part of my culture. No, it's part of the devil's culture. And let me give you a You're not Hispanic. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. We need to get rid of all of our ethnicity preferences. We are sons and daughters. He will say, I'm an American. You're not an American. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are no longer of this planet. You're of another planet. The Bible says we are aliens and pilgrims just passing through. See, the children of Israel are on one side, and the enemy was on the other side. You cannot fight the kingdom of darkness 
if you're entertained by the kingdom of darkness. People always ask me, because I've gone into deliverances where they'll be going for three hours. I'm not saying, oh, I'm the man of God, and God's anointed me to cast out devils and demons. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I've been in deliverances where three hours will go by, and someone will call me and say, Isaiah, can you please come help us? We can't get this demon out. And we'll go, and within 15 minutes, the demon's gone. Why? Here's the reality. The way to get power over the demonic realm, the way to get power over the spiritual realm is not having anything in common with the realm you're trying to cast out. Remember when Jesus came to the earth, and Jesus said when he got to the demons, the Bible says the demons got on their knees. What blows me away? I can't get Christians on their knees, yet demons got on their knees for God. This is another message for another day. And the Bible says the demons got on their knees. And here's what they ask Jesus. They say, what do me and you have in common? In other words, the way that you have authority over the demonic realm is by not having anything in common with the demonic realm. If you're still entertained by the same demons that you're trying to cast out, you are a joke to the enemy. See, when you begin to cut away everything in your life that is anti the kingdom of God, I know it sounds cheesy, but when you begin to say every before you do something, would Jesus do this? Would Jesus watch this movie? The Bible says sexual sin is the worst sin because if you wouldn't take Jesus to see a prostitute, why are you taking him to watch pornography? Why are you taking him to that girl's house at midnight? Why are you taking him to that ungodly movie? We have to start realizing the holiness of God. This is not some game that we're playing tonight. This is not some joke. This is serious. There is so much at stake for you living holy. We are not fighting a war over freedom. We are not fighting a war over oil or political power. We are fighting a war over souls that are either going to go to heaven or go to hell. And I've made a decision. I'm not going to take this battle lightly. I'm not going to play games with the anointing. So the Bible says one, all of a sudden they're on opposite sides. And the Bible says a giant named Goliath began to torment the people. It's a very common story, but I want to pull out some uncommon points before we do this altar call. The Bible says there was a giant that made a, made a decree saying this. If you defeat us, we will become your slaves. But if we defeat you, you will become our slaves. This is the essence of sin. How do I know if I've defeated the sin in my life? If you've defeated the sin, you'll no longer listen to it. You'll no longer be the slave of sin, but you'll be a slave of God. So many of us can live clean for three months and then go back to be a slave to sin. But you have to make a decision. I'm going to defeat this thing once and for all. I'm not going to let my sin tell me what to do, but I'm going to tell it what to do. I'm not going to let pornography tell me to watch it. I'm going to tell it what to do. I'm not going to listen to the flesh and the desires of my fleshly man. The Bible says the carnal man is at constant war with God. And you have to decide to take your flesh under subjection and begin to tell your flesh what it has to do and stop letting the enemy torment you. Here's what blows me. 40 days this went on. How long are you going to let that same addiction torment you? Some of you have been dealing with that rape from 15 years ago, and it's 15 years later, and that giant is still shouting at you, and that thing is still changing the way you look at men. It's changing the way you treat people. It's changing the way you respond to people. It's changing, and you've allowed that pain and that discomfort. Days have gone by, and instead of dealing with it, you keep running from it. See, the Bible says, and the children of Israel kept running from Goliath. You have to stop running away from your issue and be like David and say, I'm not running away from it. I'm running towards 
towards it. Tonight, I'm going to deal head on with this lust addiction. I'm going to deal head on with this sin addiction. I'm going to deal head on with my lukewarmness. I'm going to deal head on with my compromise. I'm done running from this issue. I was only 12 and I'm 45 and you're still dealing with it. And tonight, God is saying, stop letting that spirit of Goliath torment you. Stop letting that spirit of intimidation torment you and decide you're going to fight that thing. There was nobody in Israel that was willing to fight Goliath. So here's a boy named David sitting out in the field. David's dad comes to him and says, David, I want you to go take bread to your brothers. Now, I want you to remember David had been anointed to be the king of Israel, yet even though David was anointing, he still wasn't on a stage. He still didn't have a platform. See, some of you are anointed, and you think, I just don't know why pastor won't let me preach. Maybe because you can't preach. I just don't know why they won't let me on the worship team. Maybe because every time you sing, everyone leaves. See, a lot of us are anointed, but it's not our time yet. Just because God has anointed you, it doesn't mean your character has caught up to your anointing. See, there's a time you might have been anointed when you were 12, but not preaching till you're 30 because God has to train you in the wilderness. God has to train you in the secret place. God has to humble you. David's dad comes to him. Now remember when David, when Samuel came to anoint David, David, Samuel said, Jesse, bring all your sons. And Samuel, Jesse brought all of his sons. And Samuel looked at all the sons and said, he's not here. Do you have any other sons? And here's what Jesse replied with. He said, I have one more son, the youngest. The actual Hebrew word wasn't the youngest. The actual Hebrew word was the lesser or the worthless one. And there was one man out in the field that was worthless in the eyes of man, but worthy in the eyes of God. Some of you might have came out of the drug house, and you've been called worthless all your life. But God says you're not worthless. You are worthy. I've called you not to be a giant loser, but a giant slayer. I've called you to conquer. I've called you to battle. I've called you to defeat. But before you slay giants, you have to learn how to serve those that are fighting. David comes to his dad and says, are you going to send me to the battlefield? Dad, I'm ready. Here's what his dad says. I just want you to bring bread to your brothers who are on the front lines. Here's the deal. His brothers were doing nothing but sitting around in their camp. Dressed for battle. Watch this. The Bible says the Israelites were dressed for battle, which means for 40 days they had swords, they had shields, they had the three-piece suit. Are you with me? They had the helmet on, and they were war crying, and they were shouting, and they were singing, and they were yelling and dancing. But here's the problem. Nobody was fighting. We have a church today where we're battled ready, and we're sitting there with all of our messages and our Bible and our three-piece suit and all of our, all, I know all those scriptures. It doesn't matter if you know scripture. It matters if you live scripture. Jesus isn't going to say, do you know? the Bible he's going to say did you live the Bible and so many of us are dressed for battle but I want to know who's actually fighting demonic powers who's actually wrestling demons demonic spirits casting them out is not just for a preacher or evangelist Jesus said these signs shall follow them that believe every single believer has been called to cast out devils every single believer has been called to raise the dead every single believer has been called to pray for the sick it's not just your pastor's job it's not just your preacher's job but before you take the ministry of fighting you need to take the ministry of serving. David, are you willing to serve your brothers even though your brothers are anointed? Are you willing to vacuum when nobody else wants to vacuum? Are you willing to clean toilets after the service? See, I'm looking for people that could serve before I'm looking for people that could fight. And if you can't serve in the wilderness, you'll never serve on the battlefield. If you can't bring coffee to your pastor, you'll never be able to serve me. We need a church that serves. And not everybody's looking for platform ministry because here's the reality. Those of us that are on the front lines would rather be in the back. 
I'm thinking, I would love to be David hanging out on the field while everybody else is fighting. And that's where so many of us live our lives. We're sitting around and we've convinced ourselves we're fighting because we have armor on. But there's no battle wounds. There's no breaking. Our, our, our armor is all polished and nice. And every Sunday we come to church and we bring our armor and we polish it up and clean it up. Oh, pastor, preach to me again so I could shine my armor and I could clean my helmet. And God says it's time to stop cleaning it and it's time to start using it. It's time to fight what I've called you to fight. He said, David, bring bread to your brother. What does bread represent? It represents the word. I got to know the word so that when people are fighting a battle, I could bring them the scripture to help them get out of their battle. See, when people fight battles, we bring them our opinion. I think you should do this about your marriage. I think you should go to this doctor. It's time to stop giving them opinions and start giving them the word of God. When your friend calls you that doesn't know God, you could tell them, well, in my Bible, it says, if you do this, then God will do this. In my Bible, it says, you shall live and not die. In Psalms 103.3, it says, all sickness and all disease. In Mark 16.17, it says, these signs shall follow, that we could lay hands on the sick. In the book of James, it says, to gather the elders and anoint the sick. We have to know the scripture so that we could bring the scripture to people. When David gets there, he sees the battle, and the first question he asks is this, what's the reward for defeating this giant? In other words, we're not doing all this for free. Some of you aren't getting paid in this church, and you're going, no, nobody pays me. Nobody has to pay you because there is a massive reward in heaven. Uh, friend, if you could see the reward that was waiting for your obedience, uh, the reward that was waiting for all that you've done, uh, you will realize that God could pay you way more than a pastor could pay you. And if you'd realize that there is treasure in heaven, uh, see, all of a sudden Saul says, here's the reward. Uh, if you defeat this giant, you'll get my daughter. So many men in the church are looking for the king's daughter but don't want to fight the king's giants. Uh, and he says, if you'll fight the king's giants, then you'll get the king's daughter. You don't have to search for your wife. You just need to fight some giants. And some of you girls need to stop looking if he has a six pack and start seeing if he has a giant head. God is looking for people that would be giant slayers, not giant losers. God is looking for women that would be attracted to the men's prayer life and not what type of car he drives. Would see if he's a man of God. I'm telling you, you need to start being attracted to those that are giant slayers and some of you men need to spend more time pursuing God than God's daughters I look at the way some of you pursue that girl oh help me preach tonight Holy Ghost because some of y'all are getting quiet on me and then I look at the way you pursue God and I'm thinking it's funny how when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and comes to God, you sit around and go, well, I've had, his, I've had pastors countless times tell me this. I just don't really believe in tongues. Why? Because I've never spoken to them. And I tell them, so you're just going to wait around your whole life, and one day if God wants me to speak in tongues, I'll have it. The Bible says to pursue spiritual gifts. I've told one pastor, I said, Pastor, when you were trying to court your wife or date your wife, well, marry her, did you ever call her? Well, of course. Did you ever bride her on dates? Well, of course. Did you ever ask her friends about her? Well, of course. So let me guess, you pursued her? Well, yeah, of course. Because Why? Because you wanted her. Yeah you're telling me spiritual gifts, you're just going to sit back and wait for God to drop it on your lap? See, some of you are waiting around. One day my miracle is going to come. and One day the walls are going to, no, they're not, friend. The walls come down when you start marching. The walls come down when you start shouting. You have to stop sitting around waiting for the king to bring you his daughter and say, I got to fight the battle before I get the daughter. If I can't defeat porn, how am I going to bring porn into a marriage? Do you, oh, help me preach, Holy Ghost. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Do you know that your porn addiction isn't going away when you get a wife? 
and God says, I haven't brought you your wife because I can't get you off the internet to in the morning. How am I going to bring you my daughter? Here's two rewards. First reward is you get the king's daughter. The second reward is you won't have to pay taxes. It was a financial blessing for those that know how to fight. There is a blessing for those engaged in the kingdom of God. You don't get blessed just because you tithe or give. You get blessed when you fight in the kingdom of God. And God says, who will fight the giants that everybody else is running from? David comes to this giant, a young man, and says, who does this thing think he is that he's allowed to be in the house of God and defy the armies of the living God? I remember when I got saved and I looked at the American church and I said, why are we allowing drinking? Let me say that one more time tonight. Why are we allowing drinking in the house of God? Why are we allowing pornography in the house of God? Why are we allowing gossip in the house of God? Some of you need to look at your sickness and say, cancer, who do you think you are that you're messing with God's anointed? Depression, who do you think you are that you I wish I was preaching to somebody? Who do you think you are? It's time to rise up and go to war against the giants that have been holding us back. It's time to rise up against all these issues that we've allowed to torment us. And tonight, let's confront them head on once and for all. Out of this entire story, Saul says, the, sorry, I keep grabbing that. It makes it stuck. I apologize. Saul says the first true statement he's made in this entire chapter. Saul says this. You can't defeat Goliath. You're too young. You're not educated. You're not qualified. And this was the first correct thing Saul has ever said to David. Here's the reality. David knew this. I'm not the one fighting this battle. God is. David said, I'm just going to go through the motions because at the end of the day, I know I already won. So maybe I need to keep going to those doctor's appointments, and I'm just going to go through the motions. Yes, I can't fight cancer. I can't fight these marriage problems. I can't fight this depression myself. I can't fight suicide myself. But here's what you don't realize, Saul. I'm not going after this in my own strength. I'm not trying to bring revival to Hayward in my own strength. It is God that is fighting for me. It's the Holy Ghost that's fighting for me. It's his strength and his power. And Saul says, what makes you think you can defeat this giant? And David says, because when I was in the field, I defeated a lion and a bear. And I love what David says. And David says, the same God that delivered me from the hand of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, I've been training in private so I could battle in public. See, David knew that he had to first defeat what he was dealing with in private before he could defeat what the people were dealing with in public. If you can't defeat the private sin tonight in your life, if you can't battle the private issues, God says, I have to have you take care of it in the secret place before it can manifest in the open place. This is how we see family members get saved. We pray in the secret place, and we defeat their giants in private so we could see them defeated in public. I remember I was praying for my brother. I was saved a month. My brother was a drug dealer. He was addicted. He was drinking every single day. And he said, Isaiah, I'll never get saved. He literally texted me. I'll never forget. I wish I stole the tip. Maybe I do. I don't know. He said, Isaiah, I'm going to purposely go to hell. So he told me when I first got saved. So I could prove to you that not everybody you say gets saved is going to get saved. And I texted him back and said, Nico, you're going to get saved. I already claimed you. What do you mean you're already claiming? God already showed me you're going to get saved. And I'm fighting for you in the secret place. What is the secret place? Don't worry about it. Just know I'm fighting in the secret place. A month goes by from that text message. I'm at Starbucks working, 
and my sister, my mom, all of them call me freaking out. You're not going to believe what happened. I'm thinking, I am going to believe. Let me guess. Nico got saved. You're not going to believe. We were in the car. My sister tricked Nico to getting in the car. He said, Nico, I want you to come help us pray for mom and dad. You know, they're going through. Please. And Nico was like, all right. Well, really, she was just baiting him in. They weren't in the car to pray for my parents. They were in the car to pray for him. And they got in that car, and all of them grabbed onto him, and they began to pray with the power of the Holy Ghost. And Nico said it felt like an earthquake shaking at his feet. And he yelled at the top of his lungs, devil, get the hell off of me. There was so much hell on him and so much anger on him and so much addiction. They said, Isaiah, you're not going to believe it. Nico got saved and delivered. I said, I am going to believe it because I've been in this secret place and I already fought the lion and the bear. So it doesn't shock me you brought down Goliath. Some of you need to go into the secret place and fight the battle. You don't get trained in public. You get trained in private. People see me preach and they go, wow, you're a great preacher. I don't prepare in public. I prepare in, a pri in private. I prepare in my prayer closet. That's where messages are born. That's where warriors are born. Warriors aren't born in boot camp. Warriors are born in the wilderness, in prayer and in fasting. And God is trying to raise someone up tonight that would come out of the wilderness and say, I'm going to go head on and I'm going to cut this giant's head off. And I'm not going to allow this spirit to tell me to tell me what to do but I'm going to tell it what to do I'm almost done I'm almost done if I get my brother up on the keys that'd be awesome Saul looks at him and says you're crazy you're a young kid I don't know where you came from I don't know what you're doing but go ahead and take a shot at this thing he goes, here, and I want you to take my armor. And I love what David said. David said this, and this is the anthem for this new generation that's raising up, getting saved in this hour. He said, your armor is uncomfortable. It doesn't fit me. And I love what he says. He says, and I'm not used to it. I remember when I first got saved and a pastor told me, he said, Isaiah, you're going to get so discouraged when you go to the American church because you're going to think that the encounter you have is happening to everybody, but you're going to get realized and you're going to understand that because you were born in the fire, you're going to have a hard time being around smoke. And I can remember being in church after church, churches that did not pray, churches that did not fast, churches where nobody was excited. And I would sit in my chair going, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this religion. See, Saul's armor represented traditional religion. And David said, what you had in your generation, and I'm trying to be respectful as possible, it's not going to fit this younger generation. We need to stop trying to wear the armor of our ancestors and put on the fresh armor of God. There's a battle that God wants us to fight, and it's going to take some new wineskins that would rise up in the earth and say, God might not do it on Sunday morning. It might happen on a Tuesday night, but we're not wearing Saul's armor, we're wearing our armor, and it might be unorthodox, and it might be crazy, but it's the only thing that will bring the giants of our generation down. So David, the Bible says, I love this, took a staff and took a sling. Here's the first question I'm going to ask Dave when I get to heaven. Why did you bring a staff to go fight a giant? You don't remember this. See, all of us talk about the slingshot, but we don't realize he didn't just bring a slingshot, he also brought his shepherd's staff. Here's what David's going to say, I don't know, it's all I knew how to use. See, your gift might not look like the right weapon to fight the battle that God has for you. But you have to be comfortable with using what you have and not trying to mimic what somebody else has. How do you know? I've only been preaching for six years. Many people in this room have been preaching years longer. 
But I could tell you I've gone through seasons where God will put me on these big stages, and in my mind I'm going, well, maybe I could preach like Bill Johnson. Maybe I could preach like this guy. Maybe I could preach like Corey Russell. And I'll get up there, and for maybe two minutes I'll try to preach their material or talk like them, and I'm thinking, gosh, this is the deadest, driest, most lukewarm sermon I've ever why? Because I'm trying to use weapons that I'm not used to fighting with. I've tried to make the PowerPoints. I've tried to bring my Bible up here and read verse by verse. But I have to realize that even though my weapons don't look like the right weapons, they're what God has given me to fight the giant of my generation. You have to stop trying to fight with everybody else's weapons and say, this is what God, if God's given you rap to fight the giant, then use rap to fight the giant. If God's given you a cleaning ministry to fight the giant, then use the cleaning ministry just because the weapons aren't like another person's weapons it doesn't mean they're not good I was preaching a revival in San Francisco preach my guts out I, I always try to give it 150% no matter what size crowd and the lady came up to my brother after and said I just really loved his preaching it was so anointing and he goes like awesome here's what she told him but I just couldn't receive it Nico said why she said because he didn't have a powerpoint do you understand? He didn't have anything on the projector. He didn't have a slideshow. So I wasn't able to receive the message. This is Saul's armor talking. Friend, listen, do you think there was a PowerPoint in the upper room? Let me just give you something to put in your religious pipe and smoke. You understand the disciples had no Bible. When Peter saw thousands saved and were healing the sick, people, oh, was that in the Bible? It wasn't in the Bible because they were living it and writing it. I don't want to live my life reading history. I want to write history. And I want to, listen, they did more without the Bible than we do with the Bible. We need to break out of Saul's armor and realize it's not going to work. So, David, I love this. The Bible says goes to find five stones. Now, Pastor, we've heard this preached a bunch of times. I've actually preached I've had to apologize after because I don't think it's biblical. Well, the five stones uh, were for five of uh, Goliath's brothers. Uh, and every brother, da how, that's, um, you want to know, I know that's not true. David didn't even know who Goliath was until 15 minutes ago. Be like, David knew that there would be brothers that would come. David didn't know anything. David picked up five stones because David thought, I might miss on the first stone. And if I miss on the, listen, some of you have missed on the first stone. You've missed on the second stone. But you got to reach into your pouch tonight. And you got to grab another stone. Maybe I didn't get delivered on the first night. And I missed the mark. But maybe it's going to take the second stone. Maybe it's going to take the third stone. Someone needs to get their sling tonight. And needs to swing their sling and say, I'm not going to let the enemy win this battle. I got another stone. If you've missed the mark a couple times, don't be afraid. Tonight is your chance. And guess what? If you miss the third stone, there's always service tomorrow. And if you miss it tomorrow, there's always, but don't stop throwing the stone. It's because you missed the first time. David comes to Goliath. I'm going to end. There's too much to this story. You can go home and study it. 1 Samuel 17. Here's what David says. If I get everyone just to stand their feet and if I can get the lights down. David said, you come with a sword, a shield, a javelin, a spear. You could translate that and preach that a bunch of different ways. Here's what David said. He said, devil, you're coming at me in the flesh. He says, but I come at you in the spirit. 
And every time you fight in the spirit, the spirit will always win what's happening in the flesh. Here's what I'm trying to say. The battle that we're fighting in our marriage, it's not against our wife. Your wife is not your issue. Your kid is not your issue. The heroin is not the issue. There is a demonic spirit behind every sin, behind every... When I started really getting deep into deliverance and all my old friends were coming to the revival and they were screeching and screaming, demons coming out of them, I started realizing that everything is spiritual. Everything we battle is spiritual. There is no coincidence. If you're battling migraines, depression, anxiety, fear, lust, poor not, whatever you're battling tonight is spiritual. And the way David said, I'm going to treat this thing is I'm not going to keep fighting it in my own strength. I'm not going to keep stressing out over it. I'm not going to live my life in the natural, but I'm going to ascend into the supernatural realm and I'm going to fight this giant in the supernatural. Tonight we are here to fight Goliath in the supernatural. We're not going to do it in the flesh. We're not going to do it by our strength. There has to come a time where you say, I'm done sitting around with armor on, but not engaging in spiritual warfare. How long are you going to stay in your pew when there's a spiritual battle happening at the altar and happening all over Hayward? But I believe these three days were a type of boot camp where we're going to train and get new weapons to fight the battle that's happening in the city. The Bible says, and David ran towards Goliath. Some of you need to run towards your giant tonight. He said, today the Lord will deliver you in my hand. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to deal with you. I'm not going to wait till next week to deliver you. Tonight, the Lord will deliver this giant into your hand. And you're not just going to bring it down. But after David killed the giant, the Bible said he cut his head off. Because I'm going to make sure that thing never comes back. That addiction's never coming back. That depression's never coming back. That anxiety's never coming back. That pornography's never coming back. See, some of us stun our giants instead of kill our giants. Knock it down, go into the tent, eat a little bit, come back out, knock it down again, go back to camp, fight, yell a little bit, shout a little bit, sing a little bit, come back, stun it again. And David said, wait a minute, if I stun this thing, and I might think he's dead, but here's the deal, you could think your sin's dead and it still be looking somewhere on the inside of you. The Bible says to put to death the sin that lurks on the inside of you. There is something inside of the, in, in the heart of every single man, and it lurks and it waits. What is lurking? Lurking is to stalk. Lurking is to wait, and I've come to find the devil will wait until it's most important time, and he'll jump out and attack. And David said, I got to make sure that this issue that I'm fighting, it doesn't come back up later. I got to cut this thing's head off, and I'm not going to cut it off with Saul's sword. I'm going to cut it off with his sword. See, what the enemy meant to defeat me, I'm going to used to defeat him. See, the devil tried to defeat me with alcohol. He tried to defeat me with lust. He tried to defeat me with anxiety. He tried to defeat me with depression. And now I'm able to travel over the country and use what he meant for bad as a testimony for good and see other people defeated. Here's how I want to do it. If you're in this room tonight, you say, Isaiah, I missed the last couple nights, but tonight's the night where I want to fight. And really, if we were to be honest, this would be every single one of us. I'm not going to live this entire year with the same giants I fought all of last year. But tonight, I'm going to cut that thing's head off. Tonight, I'm going to bring that thing down. I want you right now to make you out of your chair and find a spot at this altar. Come on, if that's you right now, as fast as you could, I want you to come out of your chair and make your way at this altar. And I want you to fight this thing. This is a spiritual altar call tonight. This is not a natural battle. We are going to bind demons tonight. Some of you might start manifesting. Some of you might start growling. Some 
you might stop coughing, but we're going to take care of every demonic power. There is a real devil out there that is lurking in the church. And right now, under the power of the Holy Ghost, I just want some of the Victory Outreach prayer team and some of the Awakening prayer team, as you feel led, just begin to lay hands. And if you're at this altar, I just want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to begin to pray a prayer of deliverance over you. Right now, by the blood of Jesus, I bind every demonic power. I bind every demonic spirit. I rebuke the spirit of Goliath that's been tormenting your body. I rebuke the spirit of Goliath that's been tormenting your marriage. By the blood of Jesus, we come against every assignment. We come against every generational curse. We come against every addiction. In the name of Jesus, we speak deliverance over every lust, over all pornography, over every dysfunction, over every every idol in our lives, every compromise in our lives. Come on, what's your Goliath that you need to kill tonight? This is not some cliche message. What is your Goliath tonight? I want you right now to get violent in the spiritual realm. If you're praying for them, I want you to pray with violence. I want you to pray with violence tonight. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. I said, God, what do you want to do on the final night? And God says, some of my people have still not received their deliverance. I'm talking about deliverance over demonic forces that have plagued your family for generations. Come on, prayer team, get violent. Bind those demonic forces.